Well, welcome back to A Voice in the Distance Ministries as we're going to be in Exodus, both chapters 26 and 27. Now, in chapter 25, uh, we had gone over the de- uh, decorations of the tabernacle that God was giving in chapter uh, 25. But you see, in chapter 26, uh, the, the decorations continue. And there is a, a lot of in-depth little details that are given in this. And I'm not going to read the, chap- the whole chapter 26. I'm just going to explain it as a whole. But we're going to be looking at chapter 27 as a whole as it starts to uh, venture into uh, some more details of, of other aspects. But again, chapter 26 covers a lot of, uh, lot of detail. And we're talking everything from little uh, from little gold rings uh, to for curtains and and particular um, uh, w- things with wood and and hooks. Okay, the, the hooks of gold and silver. And, and to be honest with you, when you read the chapter, and I recommend reading it as a whole uh, because chapter twenty six has about thirty seven verses or more of of these little details. And to read it and to try to picture it in one's mind is even if you have a decorative eye, it's really kind of hard to to picture this whole thing. So look forward to going to heaven to see it, okay? Because that's where we're going to see it because this again, the tabernacle that was given in these details are in heaven. And, and so God explained to Moses, I want you to use your best craftsmen to come and to make this tabernacle to my design that I'm giving you. And so when I read it and when I look at it, I'm like, my gosh, I, I really can't picture this as best as possible. I could I could see some things, but mine, uh, it must have been something. And so again, this is in heaven. We're going to see that one day. And, uh, you know, if you follow along with me uh, in this particular chapter, I think it'll be pretty neat to be able to, uh, to go over there and, and look at this and observe it a little closer and be like, that's what it looks like. And the key is, is to be able to get there to see what it looks like. But, you know, we, we want to take an observation of these things now. So what? We don't live, three, we weren't here thousands of years ago. So what, the, you know, if the tabernacle does not pertain to us, you know, and so on and so forth. God designed it. And we should be, we should be fascinated or curious about it because we're going to see these things in heaven. And so when we look at chapter 26, uh, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to explain the chapter as a whole because it continues in the decor of the tabernacle. But see, the important detail, the the one important detail that I want to explain most of all in chapter 26 was a curtain that separated the holy place, which was called the Holy of Holies. And, And it was the place where once a year, only one time a year, atonement for sins would be made by the priest to God. And if there was any defilement in the priest... And and if that priest walked behind that curtain without repenting of sins or going through the atonement for himself, the priest would fall dead because God's presence was behind this curtain in the Holy of Holies when God would come and meet with them for the atonement. And God's presence is so holy that no defilement can be in his presence here on earth even. And so the priests had to be very careful and they had to be very thorough in, in, in their own personal lives before coming in here for their own personal, uh, personal atonement because they were making atonement for the, for the people at this time. And, and if they walked in like that again, dead on the spot. 
So again, I say read chapter 26 if you want to see the details of the design. But we're going to read chapter 27 in its entirety. So uh, if you have your Bible, we're going to be looking at chapter 27. We're going to be starting off of verses 1 through 8. And it says, You shall make an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits wide. The altar shall be square, and its height shall be three cubits. And you shall make its horns on its four corners. Its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. Also, you shall make its pans to receive its ashes, and its shovels, and its basins, and its forks, and its pans. You shall make all its utensils of bronze. You shall make a grate for it, a network of bronze, and on the network you shall make four bronze rings at its four corners. You shall put it under the rim of the altar, beneath that the network may be midway up the altar. And you shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze. The poles shall be put in the rings, and the poles shall be on the two sides of the altar to bear it. You shall make it hollow with boards, as it was shown you on the mountain, so shall they make it. So, when God designed the tabernacle, he now gives the design for the courtyard. And it was the outside. Uh, On the outside, the first thing seen was an altar for the burnt offering. So again, during this time, you could not be in the presence of God without a sacrifice for atonement of sins. And I say again, how thankful for the sacrifice of Christ Jesus that that is not being done here now. But you see, then the altar was a place of sacrifice in the older days. Like in the days of Abraham, he built uh, some of the first um, uh, of the uh, altars. He built the first altars. And, and he built them. Uh, he built them in certain areas as a sign that of Abraham saying that God and I were here. It was it was left there as a reminder or of a symbol of such. So in this design, the altar was about seven feet wide or square and about four feet high on its four corners. It was to ha- on the four corners. It was to have four horns. Okay, on each side of bronze, uh, it was to be made out of. But now bronze was a color that represents judgment. And we will see why in the near future when Moses is told to design a bronze serpent. I don't want to give any spoilers just yet because we're getting close, but that was the representation of the color bronze. But the horns in the Bible were representations of power. Horns will be given in visions. Uh, They'll be used in examples of nations or certain people. Okay, will will be given that vision referring to power. But it was used at this time, the horns were used to bind the animals during the sacrifice. Uh, you know, they would bind the, to the horns with a rope or something in its use. But w- with the altar, certain things were used, uh, were to be used, such as pans and basins, forks, uh, fire pans. And, and, and see, bronze was the material. It was not just in the form of, of representation of, of judgment, but bronze was resistant to corrosion. Uh, it could withstand high temps, uh, friction, and wear, and, and the cleaning ability, especially for the messes that were to be had in these sacrifices, were, were best to use bronze. And, and the grate would be used for catching the ashes like a barbecue would. But see, God knows the way of all things. And I myself, you know, I like looking into things in depth. Why did God say to use this? And, and then we see why, right? The, the metals, the woods, and the fabrics. This, this was not designed by man, but by God given to man it was given to. 
And what's neat is observing this is, is not just the creative ability of God, but the ability in what he gave us to do. These skills were, were given to certain people, and these, and these were gifts and abilities given by God himself. And consider the times, thousands of years ago, uh, there was no technology that we have today. Uh, the abilities to me are even more impressive, because there was no sewing machines or color dye machines. There was no power saws or metal cutting devices, no welders. All the stuff that we have nowadays. God gave many amazing gifts to people. And whatever he gave to you, may you use it wisely to, to his glory. Because again, and this is fascinating because we have to think about the, the effort and the time that went into the stuff. So in verse 9 to 15, let's take a look here of the courtyard. And it says, you shall also make the court of the tabernacle for the south side there shall be hangings for the court made of fine uh, woven linen 100 cubits long for one side and its 20 pillars and their 20 sockets shall be bronze the hooks of the pillars and their bands shall be silver likewise along the length of the north side uh, there shall be hangings 100 cubits long uh, with its 20 pillars and their 20 sockets of bronze and the hooks of the pillars and the bands of silver and along the width of the court of the west side shall be hangings of the fifty cubits and their ten pillars and their, and their ten sockets. The width of the court on the east side shall be fifty cubits. The hanging on one side of the gate shall be fifteen cubits with their three pillars and, and their three sockets. And on the other side shall be hang, uh, hangings of fifteen cubits with their three pillars and their three sockets. So, we have here, now many probably think this is boring, right? Who cares? The tabernacle has been, has been long gone. But again, this is a replica of the tabernacle in heaven. But the courtyard here is different, and wh why? Well, there's a handful of reasons, because there, there had to be a barrier from people just approaching in a way that they shouldn't. You know, I'm sure there was wildlife around at times, uh, and so that would be a factor. And again, making sure that someone did not just come into the holy presence of God was another. If, if you remember when Moses was called upon Mount Sinai to meet with God, there was an instruction to not allow anyone to go near the mountain because they would die if the mountain was touched. Now, in heaven... In heaven, there will be no need for a courtyard because the access to God will be right there with no need for fear of death. But, but the pillars of bronze and silver were at the courtyard. Now, I mentioned bronze would represent judgment, but silver represented redemption. So this was on the pillars. And it was about 150 feet by 75 feet was the perimeter of the courtyard. So it was confined by the fence, the walls and the pillars. And, and while on earth, being confined to the tabernacle, being confined to the gospel, to the word of God is a good thing for us. Being confined to these things is the wisest decision one can make. And, I, and I'm, not saying, uh, I'm not saying to be confined to a building like that of a monk or a monastery because we are called to go out of those particular walls. But spiritually being in the confinement of these things in the word of God and staying close within the church will keep you safe. Now, when we leave the confines of these things, we become a target to the wildlife of the world. And see, countless people have fallen prey to leaving the confines of God's presence and protection. 
And, and when I see the design of God in this tabernacle, we can see that it was it was beautiful to be in it. It, it was a it was a piece of heaven on earth after all, right? But the the presence of God was the ultimate beauty of it. As there are many amazing church buildings around the world with breathtaking architecture. But you see, to my understanding, to my understanding, a large majority of those uh, beautiful uh, church buildings are empty. They feel spiritually cold. Now, I have been in some very humble church buildings, but they're flourishing spiritually because because of the presence of God and the ones who love Him are in there worshiping and serving God. And whether the facility is decorated nicely or its color scheme was chosen well, it, it can be dreary without the presence of the Lord. Now, out in the, uh, in the state of New York, there is a church called the Brooklyn Tabernacle. Now, on the outside, it doesn't look like much, but see, the inside, uh, the inside's actually beautiful. Their choir is amazing, and, and, and the Lord's presence is there. And I'll never forget, I, I called there once for a prayer request, and there was a lady on their prayer team, uh, that, that uh, prayed for me, and she said a prayer that she said a prayer for me that brought me to tears. And and that of what is going on inside the place is what makes it special. The presence of God in all places is the key to thriving as He brings the light. Now, verse sixteen and nineteen says, "For the gate of the courtyard, or for the gate of the court, there shall be a screen." 20 cubits long, woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen, made by a weaver. It shall have four pillars and four sockets. All the pillars uh, around the court shall have uh, bands of silver. Their hooks shall be of silver and their sockets of bronze. Uh, the length of the court shall be 100 cubits, the width 50 throughout, the, uh, and the height uh, 5 cubits, made of fine woven linen and of the, its sockets of bronze. All the utensils of the tabernacle for all its service, all its pegs, and all the pegs of the court shall be of bronze. Now, the gate of the court would be one... Um, it would be pretty large, okay, about 30 feet high, but it would be, uh, it would be to the access to the tent of meeting. And then the pegs would be the anchor of the tent, also made of bronze for durability and rust proof. But much is mentioned about the pillars of the court because, see, the, uh, the court throughout the Old Testament was, uh, was only an area where few would enter. And that would be for certain appointed priests. But the tabernacle itself would be movable in its design. See, God would be dwelling with them on the move. And it, and it made that known to them, right? He made that known to them. If you have ever read through the book of Psalms, the, the courts were mentioned many times in the form of worship and in the form of comfort. The courts, the, the courtyard of God. And some examples are, are uh, I'll give you some of my favorites if you will. Some examples are Psalm chapter 84 verse 10. For, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand. And I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Then we could also look at uh, oh, uh, Psalm 92.13. Uh, Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of God. And, and one last one. Let's look at uh, Psalm 84 verse 2. My soul longs, 
Yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. So being even, right? Even the courts, the courts only is beyond pleasant, right? I mean, just from the sounds of it. These Psalms were written hundreds of years after the design of the tabernacle. And yet there was such a passion and emphasis set on the courts in the dwelling places where God would be. See, we, we see pillars, and, and the importance of them is they were designed to hold up a structure. And God builds his people into that design as well. We become pillars in the house of God when we are faithful and consistent. But, you know, these Psalms that I just read were, these were from King David, who was known as the man who sought after God's own heart. And it was pretty obvious that he did it uh he did, and again for us, not just uh, to not just be spectators of what we're reading, but partakers of what we're reading is the key to experiencing God. And and God said to draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. And this was a way to do so back then during the travel. Uh, God gave gives means for access, and we have that access today. We get to pray to him wherever we are. And, and just like these days, when they had to pick up and go, the Lord was with them as he is now. So give him praise that he is with you wherever you stand. You know, God is omnipresent. And may we desire him as he desires us, but may we desire him more than we normally do. May we praise him for he is worthy of it. May we love him with all heart and mind and soul because he loves us more than we will know. And, and this was true passion with the Lord. The people who were spoken to did uh, what was required in the building of the tabernacle. Now, whoever put their hands to this did so out of love and obedience because they first gave the material and then they put their hands to it in the work toward the greater work of the will of God. And from a personal standpoint, there was a deeper understanding toward this uh, between the Lord and the people. And, and what, what a blessing to grasp that over just reading about it, because that is the power of the Word of God. You know, I'd like to say and make known that I don't just, uh, I don't, I'm not doing this. For the sake of, of killing time, I'm, I'm not doing this for the sake of impressing anyone or, or making anybody depressed. I do what I do for the love of God. I love what the Lord has done and what the Lord is doing. And this is the greatest thing that I've been able to do in my life, is to do what I'm doing here for Him and for, and for all of you who might be listening. To, to draw us near to Him together, to draw us near to God together, that we would just love Him more and more. And, and this is the honor, this is the privilege. I was not given the the, uh, the abilities of, of building things like these uh, men and women were, in the form of, of making the fabrics or in the metals and the, and the amazing things they did. I didn't have those talents. But for my love of God... I want to I want to bring people as an introductor, as somebody who's introducing one, sort of like a doorman, if you will, that, that wants to usher you in and, and, and to greet you into the presence. And, and so again, I, I pray that whatever it is that we do, we, we're doing it out of truth and we're doing it out of the love for Him. 
And and this is and this is what I do for him. It's because I love him so much, and, and I love his word. I'm fascinated with him and his word, and and I pray that you are too. So let's continue to with that fascination as we look at verses 20 to 21 to end uh, this particular chapter. Now we have the care of lampstands. It says, And you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually. In the tabernacle of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his son shall tend it from evening until morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to their generations on behalf of the children of Israel. And with that... Of the courtyards came the lamps and how it was lit. Now, this would be the, the only form of light within the tabernacle. And it was to come from pressed olives, not crushed. It, see, it is a pretty extensive procedure to make olive oil. But it was the purest of oils. And it would be used for more than just for the lighting of lamps. Because later on, we're going to see that the oil would be used for anointing someone in the priesthood. And then years later, uh, it's going to be used for anointing uh, those in the kingship. When kings will be established in Israel. And it would also be used for healing wounds as well. But, you know, in the most important meaning of the oil, it would be, the, it would be in the symbol of the Holy Spirit. And what's interesting is it was to be pressed, okay, pressed, never crushed. And that is how the Lord will purify his people as well. We become purified from pressing on versus being crushed. See, the lamps and the oil to be filled by the sons of Aaron will be done by appointed priests to come as the tabernacle. And the future temple would have a lamp in it. And by that, it will be watched and filled so that the light will never go out. Because the, the light was a representation of Israel as a light of the surrounding nations to the world. Israel was considered the light. And God says that their lamps were to never lose their fire, their light. And, and that is what God wants from us. He wants from us all to do the same, to never lose our light. The, the filling of the lamps kept it alive as does the filling of us with the word of God. With prayer, with fellowship, with God. You know, the most important time to make sure that it, it was filled was uh, when it got dark out, right? <laughs> you wanted to make sure that it was, that you really filled that up when it got dark. And, and the same pertains to us. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to shine in the dark. And I've had a saying from time to time, and, and that is how well do we glow in the dark? Uh, do we still shine enough for those around us to want to be around when they have gotten lost? And, you know, we've heard for years that, that we live in dark days. Well, and it was dark days as soon as Adam and Eve fell to disobedience in the garden. It just got a little darker and darker within time. But, the closer you get to God, the lighter and lighter it gets. Now, when we receive the Lord as our Lord and Savior, when we invite Him into our lives and our hearts, we now have access to Him when our time is up on earth. And now, in heaven, in heaven there is no darkness. In heaven there's no fear. There's no anxiety. Every tear wiped away. And, and, and that was a little bit of what the tabernacle on earth Okay, it offered a little bit of heaven on earth. And the importance of the Lord within us is the key to being with Him in heaven. 
But again, that cannot happen unless you personally receive Him to receive Christ as Lord and Savior for that to happen. Then the light will live in you, but you must continue to fill yourself with Him and His, and His Word. After that, you will see the light more and more. But more than seeing the light, you will be a light. And let us take the time to receive the Lord if you have been led by His Spirit. Okay, if you're being led by Spirit saying, come to me, I've been waiting. Maybe you've been waiting to know, how will I know that I am saved eternally? Well, now you know. You just have to say that I will receive the Lord in order to, in order to have that. Salvation is a free gift. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to earn it. And, and, and to even think that we can try to pay God back by, by earning it after what Christ did for us is, a, is an insult. There is nothing we can do that to, to ever repay what He did for us. But, I guarantee you that everything we do for Him is not forgotten. I guarantee you that everything we do for Him is, is absolutely appreciated by Him. But all He wants is us. All He wants is, is for us to receive Him. All He wants is fellowship. And that's why I said earlier, I do what I do for the love of Him. I do what I do for the calling that I've been called to do this. If he, He's allowed me to do this, he's, if He's given me any form of an ability to do this, I want to be able to, to do it to the best of my ability with passion and accuracy. I, I call it my PA system. <laughs> you know, I, I, try to, I try to incorporate passion and accuracy in, in the Word of God. Because, again, the Bible is not just a mere book. It is the most vast library you will ever have in your collection. And in it is the Word of God, the mind of God, the heart of God, the hands of God, the likes of God, the dislikes of God, and so on. And we want to make sure that we're not just reading it for the sake of reading it, but we are closely observing it because we're reading the manual to our Father. You know, some people called the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, the basic instructions before leaving earth. <laughs> and it is, it is. But again, I'd like to think there's a lot more than basics in here. There's extensive instruction. But again... It will mean nothing if you have not received Him as your Lord and Savior. You're just a reader then. You're an observer. Well, He's calling you out of observation and into the family to sit at the household. And when you knock, He'll answer that door. But He's knocking at your door. Will you answer to Him? Well, the opportunity is now if you feel led. I want to give you that opportunity and it's simple. We say a simple prayer together. And that simple prayer is receiving Him as your Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, who died on the cross for the sins of this world. God's only begotten Son. And if you should receive Him and believe in Him, then you will have everlasting, eternal life in heaven. But you'll also want to stay the course. 
a lot of people will leave certain things out, and I want to make sure that that you know that we're also doing right and living right by Him as best as possible. That we're we're reading the Word of God, we're we're following the Word of God, and that we're we're walking close with Him all the time. And that's again what the purpose of a voice in the distance is for as well. It is to introduce you to Him and to and to help us walk together with Him in the way He wants us to walk with Him. So let's receive him right now, if you feel led, by saying this prayer with me. Dear God, please forgive me, Lord. Forgive me of all of my sins. As I confess to you that I am a sinner, Lord. Please receive me into your kingdom, Lord, when my time is up. As I receive you now as my Lord and my Savior. And Lord, I want to thank you for dying on the cross. I want to thank you for having me as Lord as I receive you now Lord that I might be a child of yours in Jesus name we pray Amen Well I pray that your passion will grow within him he loves you so much and and again it's just such a blessing I I, I just want to be an ambassador for him that just makes him known as best as possible that we might fall in love with him more and more So check it out Go through the other messages. Take in the whole Word of God. Take in the whole counsel of God. Not just little bits and pieces of it. But you will be absolutely amazed. So let's together, let's venture together through this. And again, prayers are with you and may your prayers be with me. And together, well, we'll be with Him in eternity. God bless you.